the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. we're predestined, we're called. The next word he uses there in verse 30 is, and those he called, he also justified. We've talked about this word before. Justified is to be acquitted by God and judged as righteous in his sight. And kind of a play on words to remember it. It's just as if I'd never sinned. That's the way God sees us in the righteousness of his son. When we come to faith, when we accept what Christ did for us on the cross, we're justified in God's sight. He sees us not as condemned, not as guilty but as acquitted. Have you ever heard someone say they are called to ministry? This is simply church language that means they feel that God is telling them that they should be working in ministry. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that God empowers us to do what He has asked us to do. In the Old Testament, God called Moses to free the Israelites, and Moses said he couldn't do it. God equipped him to do it. God gives us the strengths and skills to accomplish all that he has for us to do in this life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapter 8 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let's continue with a couple more definitions because he also says, not only are you predestined, but he said, look again, verse 30. He says, and those he predestined, he also, second word is called. Called is to be drawn to the Lord by the Lord. In John 6, 44, it says, no one can, Jesus said, no one can come to the Father unless, unless the Father draws you. So we have to be drawn by the Lord. And he's working on us by his Holy Spirit. Nobody here came to faith in Jesus Christ only by the exercise of your intellect, though that was engaged, no doubt. But we came also because there was this pull of God's Spirit to move us to this place where we exercise our intellect, where we come to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And it is the work of God working in us and around us and through us. And some of you probably can testify, before you came to know Christ, and you were maybe, you know, you didn't have anything to do with church or God or, or anything. And all of a sudden, different people were coming into your life, talking about the Lord. And every place you went, you couldn't escape them. Who are, who are these weird Christians? Every place I go, they're all over the place. It's God dispatching his people on your behalf until he fa- finally you, you were able to surrender. You got to the place you're like, okay, this is inescapable. I realize now. And then, but all that wooing process was the work of God who calls us. So we're predestined, we're called. The next word he uses there in verse 30 is, and those he called, he also justified. We've talked about this word before. Justified is to be acquitted by God and judged as righteous in his sight. And kind of a play on words to remember it. 
It's just as if I'd never sinned. That's the way God sees us in the righteousness of his son. When we come to faith, when we accept what Christ did for us on the cross, we're justified in God's sight. He sees us not as condemned, not as guilty, but as acquitted and as made righteous because of what Christ has done for us. And it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's how righteous he sees us, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ that was imputed to us. And then he says, and those he justified, he also glorified. Now, this is actually a future tense thing, but he's looking ahead. Glorified means the state of ultimate perfection of the believer. And it's, it's really when we get to heaven. And it's interesting because the Bible talks about being glorified in a few different ways. It tells us in Philippians 3.21 that we're going to get a glorified body like Jesus had. Because when Jesus rose from the dead... Though he still had a body, a physical body, it was a body that had become miraculously glorified. It was imperishable at that point. It would no longer decay. It was no longer corrupt. It would no longer die because it was forever preserved in this now glorified state. And the Bible says we're going to get a body just like Jesus. When we die, if we know Christ as our Savior, we die and we go to be with the Lord, but then there's going to come a day when we will all get our glorified body as well. It'll never perish, never sag, never wrinkle, never burp and other things. It'll be completely perfect because it'll be glorified in his sight. And it's also interesting, too, because the Bible says that by this glorified state, we are also partakers in some unique way, partly of God's own glory. Because in 2 Thessalonians 2.14, it says, He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all these things together is just this wonderful picture of how we're taken from nothing. We're predestined according to the foreknowledge. We are called by God. He draws us to him. We come to faith by confessing Jesus as our Lord. We're now justified. And then eventually we will be glorified when we're with him and in his presence. So keep reading with me now. Verse thirty. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. In other words, you know, nobody gets to declare your righteousness. That's only, that's God's business. God is the one who saves. God is the one who justifies. Verse 34, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Okay, now, he's he's not answering the question, who is he that condemns? Oh, it's Christ Jesus. No, it's a a contrast. He's saying, who, who condemns? Because remember how chapter 8 began. There is therefore now no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. He said, you know, who's, who condemns you? People might go ahead and condemn you. People might say a lot of things judgmentally about you. But as long as you know Christ is your Savior, it's Christ is the one who has forgiven us. Yes, we can be convicted by the Lord, but no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So he says here, and I love this part, the last part of verse 34, that Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared 40 days on the earth, 
and then he ascended back into heaven. And Paul tells us that when he ascended back into heaven, he took a place, and that place is at the right hand of the Father, where Jesus is interceding for us. Okay? Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. He's interceding for us. He's appealing to the Father on our behalf. Isn't it good to know that Jesus is praying for you? You know, when, when Jesus predicted Peter's failure, when he talked about how Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed twice, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Jesus is praying for us. It's a beautiful promise. You should underline it in your Bibles. Jesus is at the right hand of God, and he's also interceding for us. Jesus is praying for me. And then verse 35, great verse. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And Paul has experienced all these things. He says, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Isn't this great? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Give an amen to that. Praise the Lord for that. That is great stuff there. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Okay, We will do things from time to time that sin against God. We will do things from time to time that grieve him. All right? But even in our disobedience, though he never loves our sin, he never stops loving us. It's like, it's like a rebellious child. Some of you might have a prodigal child at, at home, or maybe you don't know where that child is, and they're away from the Lord, and they're away from you, okay? And they've done a lot of terrible things, and maybe their life is completely messed up. And maybe they've even stolen from you, lied to you. Maybe they've done a lot of different things that are, you know, sad and sinful, but you never stop loving them. You never stop loving them. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. You know, I've, I talk to people from time to time who struggle with this issue. They struggle with the idea that God genuinely, unconditionally, completely loves them. And I would say that if that's your struggle, you just need to meditate on these verses. You go home tonight, you just need to read these verses and meditate on them over and over again. And get up the next morning and you read them and you meditate on them over and over again. Because one of the biggest lies of the enemy is God doesn't love you and God doesn't care about you. And, and you can begin to believe that lie. But God wants you to know that he loves you and nothing in all creation is able to separate you from his love. God loves you with an everlasting love. And nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now it's interesting, the 8th chapter begins by saying there's no condemnation, and chapter 8 ends by saying, and there's no separation. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, 
And, and there's no separation. You can't be separated from the love of God. Now, this is going to lead into chapter 9, which is also uh, uh, somewhat of a difficult chapter here. And chapter 9 brings a, a slight shift in focus here in the book of Romans. Because in the first eight chapters, Paul brilliantly made the case that we're all sinners, we're, we're all, we're, we're, we're born into sin, the sinful state of humanity is a, is a real thing, but we have been mercifully saved because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. So he makes, he makes that strong argument in the first eight chapters that man, about man's sinful state and about God's glorious provision in, in Jesus Christ. And, and then he anticipates that people are going to begin to question how secure they are. I mean, he's talking about you're predestined according to the foreknowledge. There's no condemnation. You can't be separated from the love of God. And then he anticipates that people are going to use Israel as a bad example to cause them to question their own security in the Lord in this sense. There are a lot of Jews at the Church of Rome at this time. This is kind of a mixed group here of Jew and Gentile. And for those who are aware of, uh, uh, for those Jews who have accepted Christ, they are aware that there are many Jews who have not, who have rejected Christ. And so they're concerned that if God had a special relationship with Israel and the Jewish people, who have now, for the most part, forsaken him, They've rejected Messiah. They've rejected Jesus. And so therefore they have been cast off, at least for a season. Then he anticipates that some might wonder, well, then how secure is my relationship with God? Because if Israel was close to God at one point, and now Israel seems to be rejected, what's to say that God wouldn't do that to me? How secure is my salvation? How much can I trust that the Lord won't cast me off like he cast Israel off? Now, chapters 9, 10, and 11 have to do with the condition of Israel and the redemption of Israel. So he's going to speak here about the Jewish people. Now, again, Paul is a Jew himself, and uh, so he's going to address this. And I want to point out a couple of things before we begin the ninth chapter, just to kind of set the tone here. In your Bibles, how many of you have a Bible there at the beginning of chapter 9 that has a subtitle that says, God's Sovereign Choice? How many of you have a subtitle in your Bible? God's Sovereign Choice. All right. So uh, these are just subtitles, okay? What I'm about to tell you to do is not heresy, all right? This is man-made subtitles, okay? It's not the Word of God. But in your Bible, if you want to do this, this is what I did in my Bible. I, I took a pencil and I crossed out the word sovereign. And I wrote the word mercy, the mercy of God, the mercy, God's merciful choice. I wrote the word merciful, God's merciful choice. Here's why I did it. This whole ninth chapter, there's a lot of people who read this in terms of the sovereignty of God. Okay. And by that, they mean that God's, you know, there, no doubt about it, there's God's sovereignty and there's man's responsibility. But when we, solely emphasize the sovereignty of God. Again, we're going to go down this fatalistic path that God just controls all things and that there's no real room for man's responsibility. Now, the reason I'm encouraging you to put a little line through the word sovereign and replace it with the word merciful is because, check this out, the word sovereign does not appear a single time in the book of Romans, not once. 
But yet people would use this ninth chapter to make this sovereign argument. Okay, You know the word that appears? Mercy. Ten times through the book of Romans, the word mercy appears seven of those times in chapters 9, 10, and 11. It's a very concentrated section here in the book of Romans having to do with mercy. So while we will see, and I may even use the word sovereign in the course of teaching through this chapter, the emphasis is not on the sovereignty of God. The emphasis here is on the mercy of God. And if you don't see that, you're going to miss the whole emphasis that Paul is trying to communicate. So I personally think whoever came up with the subtitles has done a disservice to the ninth chapter because it is taking our view of God and it is narrowing it down to this fatalistic sovereign God. And he is sovereign. There's no question about it. But it narrows the view to a fatalistic view of God rather than a merciful view of God. And so a lot of times people look at the ninth chapter in terms of what God orchestrated and what God predetermined instead of looking at it as how God opened wide his mercy to people who would not normally have been the chosen people. I don't mean that in terms of the Jews. He's going to get specific here. He's going to talk about Isaac and Ishmael. He's going to talk about Jacob and Esau. And he's even going to talk about Pharaoh as a demonstration of his mercy in the big picture of things. But first, he's going to deal here a little bit with the Jewish people. And then all of chapter 9, 10, 11 have to do a lot with the Jewish people. But notice where where he begins here in verse 1. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Speaking about the Jews. Those of my own race, the people of Israel. All right, now here is heart here, right from the beginning. Because some people will accuse Paul of basically saying, when you start preaching this message of mercy and grace, and anybody can believe in Jesus, that you're you're dissing the Israel people. And you are a Jew yourself, Paul. You know, if if you take away the privileged status of the nation of Israel in deference to this whole message of mercy and grace then you're dissing your own people. This isn't right. I I remember one of our trips to Israel, and I take, those of you who have been with me, we go, in fact, this last trip, we didn't have time to go to this to this uh, shop, but we go to uh, Shorashim. It's the shop in the old city of Jerusalem. And there's these two twin guys, these men who are Orthodox Jews who own and run the store. And I've developed a relationship with them over the last 20 years, and we're good friends. But uh, Moshe and Dove are their names. And, and a lot of times I take groups in there, and, I, and I, I want Moshe to share the Jewish perspective. He's very well versed in both Old and New Testament. And so it's great dialogue. It's no debate. We just you know have a great exchange, and he shares the Jewish perspective perspective to things. And one time I pulled Moisha off to the side and I said, I said, um, you know, tell me your true feelings about Jesus. Okay. And this is what he said to me. He said, I don't have a problem with Jesus. He said, my problem is Paul. He says, because Paul betrayed his own people. Paul betrayed the Jewish people. Now this is the kind of thing that, that Paul's anticipating right here. Because he's saying, He realizes that if he's preaching the message of the cross and mercy and anybody can come to faith and trust Jesus, have your sins forgiven, then what happens to the privileged status of Israel? Because the truth is, as far as salvation is concerned, there is no privileged status for the nation of Israel. 
Now hear me on this. God's not done with the Jewish people. God still loves the Jewish people. He who, who touches Israel touches the apple of God's eye. Okay, there's a lot of verses here. God's not done with Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. Hear me on all this. But in terms of salvation, Israel does not have a favored status. And so Paul wants to begin this ninth chapter by saying, you know what? If it were possible, I'd rather be cursed and go to hell if that were somehow the way that my own people could be saved. I would take the penalty for them if I could. That's what he's saying there. He said in verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. He says, oh, how much I want that. He says, hear my love for my own people. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not condemning my own people. I'm not, I'm not trying to come against my own Jewish race. He says, no, God forbid. If I could somehow take their penalty, I'd do it in a minute. And then he goes on here in the next couple of verses. Verse 4, he says, theirs is the adoption as sons. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Okay? He says the people of Israel, they're a special people. And they've been in a special place where they have received everything from adoption to divine glory, the very Shekinah glory of God that was with Israel, the covenants, receiving the law of Moses, the temple of God, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They've received all these things. But he says, and all of us need to hear me on this, because this is what he's saying to all of us. Mercy is not a divine right. None of us is entitled to it. Mercy is God's choice. And even Israel and the Jewish people in their favored status has no favored status in relation to salvation. The cross is for all who would believe. No special status for anybody. We're all guilty. We're all sinners. So Paul's like, please don't take this personally, Jewish people. He says, I, I'm a Jew just like you. But he said, we all need to understand. We've been handed so much the privilege and the blessing. He says, even down to the point where through the Jewish people has come who? Trace the human ancestry of Christ. Notice, who is God over all forever praised. That's the way verse 5 ends, which is a very strong statement about the divinity of Jesus, isn't it? He says, Jesus is God. He says, through the Jewish line came the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is God over all forever praised. Okay, next time you get a knock on the door from Jehovah's Witnesses and they want to tell you that Jesus is just the Archangel Michael, just take him right here to this verse. Say, I don't think so. Because my Bible says that the human ancestry, Jesus Christ, came through the Jewish people and Jesus Christ, who is God over all and forever praised. Amen. So for those of you taking notes, he's going to go down a list of what salvation is, and it's actually in the negative, what salvation is not. And so I've enumerated these in the, in the negative because he says there in verse three, salvation is not something we can achieve for someone else. That's so he says, if, if I could, I would give my salvation to the Jewish people whom I love and who I am, and I would take the curse in their place. But you, you, nobody can do that. Okay. He, I mean, he's just, he's just saying it, you know, metaphorically. I wish, I wish this could happen, but it just can't. It, it's not, it's not possible for me to trade salvation in some way. You can't achieve salvation for anybody else. Everybody has to come to this in their own personal decision. And then he says, verse six, it is not as though God's word had failed. 
For not, in other words, well, there, if a lot of Jewish people don't believe in Christ as Messiah, maybe God's word has failed. He's like, no, it's not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Now, this gets a little confusing here, but let, let's take it slowly while we hear the rain uh, dancing on the roof. Verse 7, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the Book of Romans. If you'd like to hear this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be happy to meet you. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website, Again, that is cornerstoneconnection.cc. We hope and pray that you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of Romans. Keep reading on your own in this book to discover many other inspiring and motivating things. Pastor Gary will continue teaching through the book of Romans on our next edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul got no place to go, but still you know, you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes, mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones, your connection run towards Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.